excited about this series. I believe God's got so much in store for us, and we need to open our hearts wide to receive from Him. Um, it is true that this is about the Ten Commandments. And many of us, when we think of the Ten Commandments, because of our religious backgrounds, we think of a, rule, a list of rules, of do's and don'ts. We think of God as a severe disciplinarian standing with a stick who's about to beat you over the head if you don't do what you should. But we're going to look at this over the next few weeks, not from that perspective, because we know our God is a good God. We know our God is a loving God who wants relationship with you. That is his number one priority in life. And these commandments are not about God wanting to beat you over the head. We're going to look at the principle behind each of the commandments and what we can learn from that principle. These commandments are found both in Exodus chapter 20 and also in Deuteronomy chapter 5. We're going to be looking at them one by one. And it's true that seven out of ten of the commandments, they begin with the words, you will not or you shall not. So no wonder that many people think of it as a list of do's and don'ts. But if we grab hold of these principles that God wants us to learn, it's going to enhance our relationship not only with God, but with one another. The first four commandments are dealing directly with our relationship with God. And the last six commandments are dealing with our relationship with other people. It is so important for us to have our relationship right with God. If our relationship is not right with him, it affects our relationship with other people. But when this one is good, the rest of them are effective in a positive way. So God wants us to succeed in life. And that's why he's given us these rules or these commandments. Now... The Israelites, if you think back to them, they were living in slavery for many years in Egypt. They knew that they had a God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob, but they didn't know much about him because they lived in a pagan land and they lived under slavery. And when Moses came to Egypt to deliver the Israelites from the hand of the Egyptians, he said, God says, let my people go that they may worship me. What was God saying? He says, I'm calling you out of bondage and out of slavery to a place of friendship, intimacy, and worship. They were traveling from a place of bondage to Mount Sinai, which is the mountain where the Ten Commandments were given and where God was introducing himself afresh to the people of Israel and saying, this is who I am. And here are a bunch of rules, these Ten Commandments that are guidelines, principles, um, um, a structure in which if we live by them, it will ensure that our relationship together will be fruitful. Now, for me, when I look at this, one example that is very good to compare with is marriage. When two people decide to get married and they go into a marriage commitment, we make vows. Not so. I take you to be my lawfully wedded husband for better, for worse, in richer, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health. These are the traditional vows or promises that we make to one another when we get married. Because when we go into marriage, we plan to do that for life till death do us part. And many of you might have heard the saying, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. 
So you want to make this marriage covenant, this relationship work for life. And that's why we bring in these promises and commitments that we make to one another. But those commitments don't really matter. They don't carry any water if there isn't that love that binds our hearts together. And that's why we get married in the first place, because we love that person that we've met. And it's the same with this Ten Commandments. It's the love, it's the relationship that we have with God that makes this work. Without that love relationship, it just reduces to legalism, a bunch of do's and don'ts that have no life in them, and then just bring death. So today, we're looking at the second commandment. There are three verses, and there's three points that I want to share. So Exodus chapter 20 and verse 4, the second commandment. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me And keep my commands. So the principle that I want to draw out from this commandment today is the principle of purity. We're going to be looking at the principle of purity. And the first part, the first verse that we've got here, verse 4, it says, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the or in the waters below. And the first point I want to bring out is, number one, the danger of impurity. Now, Egypt was living in, sorry, the Israelites were living in Egypt, which was a pagan nation that had many gods. And when God sent Moses to deliver his people from from the bondage of the Egyptians... I love the way God did it because he came and he brought 10 plagues that came against the Egyptians. And the number 10 stands for completion. So God actually, through those 10 plagues, God was directly challenging the gods of Egypt. I find this so amazing because it was also a grand introduction of God to his people once again. This is who I am. I'm so much greater than these gods. For example, one of the gods that they had was Hapi. He was the river god, the god of life, the river Nile. They worshipped that god. And what was the first thing that God did? He turned the river Nile into blood. And all the fish died. And for three days, no, for seven days, the water was undrinkable. And it stank. What a great god we have. So much greater than this God of uh, of the Egyptians that they worshipped. Another God that they had was a God of fertility. And the God of fertility had the head of a frog. What did God do? He caused thousands and thousands of frogs to come out of the Nile. And they entered into people's houses and their kitchens. And they found them everywhere. And then these frogs died. And there was a stench. And people were shoveling all these frogs out. And they were in piles on the street and flies and stinking and stench. God was saying, I'm so much greater. 
than your God of fertility. I am a great God. There is none like me. Another God that they, now we could spend a lot of time on this and we're not going to. I'll just tell you one more and then we'll move on. They worship the God Ra, which is the sun God. And instead of worshiping the creator God, they worship created things. What did God do? He sent darkness on them. Three days and three nights. There was such a thick darkness that people couldn't see anything in front of them. What was God saying? I am so much greater than any created thing because I am God and I created it. And I alone deserve to be worshipped. So this was how God introduced himself to the Egyptian people and reintroduced himself to the people of Israel. And when they went out of bondage and came to Mount Sinai to receive the commandments from God, God said to them, do not be like the people, like the Egyptians. Do not serve many gods, but serve me and serve me alone. They were entering into a pagan nation. They were leaving a pagan nation of many gods and idols, but they were going into Canaan, which was also a land of many gods and idols that had detestable evil practices. The Bible says in Psalms 106 verse 37 that they even sacrificed their sons and daughters to demons. What a terrible God to serve that you would have to do such a thing. They were going into a land of idolatry and God was trying to warn them, don't get involved with this. Don't get involved. In Deuteronomy 18 verse 9, God says, when you enter the land the Lord your God has given you, do not learn or imitate the detestable ways of those nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices his sons or his daughters in the fire, who practice divination or sorcery, who interprets omens or engages in witchcraft or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist or who consults the dead. These were the kind of things that they were doing, the Canaanites were doing. God said, don't get involved, don't do it. This was the danger of getting involved in purity. God wanted, like a man and a woman in a monogamous marriage, God wanted a relationship with them where they were his God and they were his people. And there was no other lovers in that relationship. That's what God wanted for them. So the Canaanites worshipped idols more than any other people on the face of the earth. They had idols for just about everything. And they carved images of those gods. Now, you have to understand that Israel was the only nation that didn't worship an image of their God. All the other nations did. Israel was the only God that did it, the only nation that didn't. So Jesus, God was saying to them, don't do this. By the way, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, talking about Jesus, it says, he is the image of the invisible God. So our God is invisible. We don't have idols like many other religions that we worship. Israel was the only nation that had an invisible God. Now the Canaanites, they had a national God. They had family gods or clan gods. And they had personal gods. And sadly, the Israelites were tempted and led astray by the Canaanites, although God warned them. And they said to them, Oh, we understand that you have a national God. His name is Jehovah. We have a national God too. But guess what? 
You need to have a family God. And you need to have a personal God. And they introduced them to Asherah, which is a family God. And they introduced them to Baal. And that's why when you read in the Bible, all through the Old Testament, you find that Israel built Asherah poles and Baal idols, although God had warned them against it. Listen to these scriptures in Judges chapter 3 and verse 7. So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot their God and they served the Baals and the Asherahs. And another scripture here, if you remember the story when Elijah called everyone to Mount Carmel and he called fire down. Again, that was when there was a big confrontation between the idols that the people had chosen to worship and between God, where God proved himself once again that he was a great God and there was none to compare with him. The scripture says in 1 Kings 18, 19, Now therefore call together all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And we know that God proved himself strong on that day. So this is what God was warning them against, the danger of impurity. Don't get involved. Don't conform to what happens around you. But how many of us know how difficult is that? God wants us to be different, to stand up because he's called you out to be his chosen people. And yet because of what happens around us, so often we get intimidated into conforming to the world around us instead of standing up and being who God called us to do. And unfortunately, this is what the Israelites ended up doing and as a result brought a lot of sadness and pain and suffering in their own lives. When God was telling Moses on the mountain, do not make an idol, do not have a carved image, the children of Israel was, were actually at the bottom of the mountain already fashioning two golden calves that they said, these calves brought us out of Egypt. What madness. After they've been delivered so mightily by the hand of God and brought out of Egypt, now they choose to worship idols. So there was such a temptation to conform to the way that all the other pagan um, nations were doing. And that's why God was warning them against this danger. Don't do it. Don't do it. Why? Because it's going to affect your relationship with me. We, the principle we're looking at is the principle of purity. Having a relationship with God that is not influenced by many other lovers that we let into our lives. The second um, point The principle of purity, the next verse, verse 5, says, You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. So our first point was the danger of impurity. And the second point is the consequences of impurity. What are the consequences of impurity? If we choose, although God tells us, don't do this, don't make for yourself carved images, don't allow this in your life, but if we choose to do it, there are consequences. Now, when looking at the history of the Canaanites and the Egyptians, I find that there's very striking resemblance with our customs and traditions here in Zambia. 
Even our nation, we've had a national god for many years, the river god, Nyami Nyami. And many of our people worshipped and served that god. Do you know that that god, although what happened in 1991 when Zambia was declared a Christian nation, we renounced our allegiance to that god and we broke that covenant with the enemy and our nation was dedicated to God. But that God is still around. And if you go down to Livingston, how many of you have seen all those idols that are there? You find carved images of Nyami Nyami all over, big ones and small ones. And many people, tourists also, they buy them and take them home with them, thinking that it's an interesting tradition that these Africans have. And yet we know that there's a demon God behind that How about family gods? How many of you are aware that you have clan gods? In fact, how many here are aware of what the clan god is in your clan? How many of you are aware of the clan that you come from and what some of you are from the goat clan? Some of you are from the tree stump clan or the crocodile clan? Dog clan, the lion clan, can I can hear them. All of you are aware, okay? So this is very real. What God was warning the Israelites about back then, many thousands of years ago, he's warning us as his people today as well, that guys, he wants us to be pure. He doesn't want us to commit our lives or dedicate our lives to these gods. So there's family gods and there's even personal God. How many of us have got images that we're shackled to? We've got addictions that we can't get out of and that we need God's help. Many of us have been introduced to these gods, not out of our own volition, but a lot of you, even when you were right small children, little babies, were dedicated to these gods in the name of protection and um, blessing and fruitfulness. But we know that these gods are not good gods, just like the Egyptian gods. They're not good gods. They're evil. And when we open, those doors are open into our lives, they become open doors for the enemy to come in and cause trouble in our lives. It becomes open doors where our li- in our lives that the enemy can take advantage We call these things generational curses, and often they are referred to as iniquities in our lives. Many times they're not caused even by our own fault, but they're passed down from one generation to another. Because what happens is, God is speaking in this scripture about the third and the fourth generation. In Israel, back in their time, many times you'd have the grandparents, the parents, the children, and the grandchildren, four generations living in the same house. And when a child was born, the elders would introduce them to the traditional ways and dedicate them to whatever their family gods were, which is very similar to what still happens in Zambia today. God says, I'm a jealous God. Why is God jealous? He's jealous for your affection. He's jealous for your best. He wants you to succeed in life. And he knows that when you choose to open your life to these kind of things, 
God's hand is moved away from you and the enemy gains access in your life. God's protection is lifted and the enemy gains access. Now, I want to go back to the example of marriage again. Um, When two people commit themselves to get married and they've made that promise to stay true and faithful to one another. Somewhere along the line, down the road, it could be either party, but let's say the man starts to have thoughts of other women. And he meditates upon these thoughts, and it grows. A desire, lust grows in his heart. He starts seeking it out more. Maybe on the internet, starts looking at porn. And his heart gets captivated by these things. And what happens? It grows in his heart. It becomes an open door where the enemy gets hold. And as a result, eventually, he ends up in extramarital relationships. That never happens overnight. It's a process. Do you think that affects his marriage? Definitely. If you want to have a good, loving relationship with your wife or your husband, there's no way that you can have other lovers in that relationship and still have a successful marriage. And this is what God is trying to bring to us. In Jeremiah, in fact, in a number of places in the Old Testament, God speaks about Israel being an adulterous wife. I just want to share a couple of places here in Jeremiah chapter 1. God says, I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you loved me. Then he says, like a woman unfaithful to her husband, so have you been unfaithful to me. Elsewhere it says, but you have lived as a prostitute with many lovers and followed worthless idols. This is what we call spiritual adultery. God wants to have a pure relationship with us where it's just you and him. And we don't allow all these other idols, all these other gods in our lives because it affects our relationship with him. Now it says here, that scripture that we were looking at before, it says that God punishes And sometimes that's difficult for us to understand because we think, but God is a loving God. How can he do that? But let me take you back to the thought of um, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God gave them this beautiful garden and he said, enjoy it. But one thing, don't touch that tree because if you do, the day that you eat from that tree, you will surely die. God warned them. But what did they do? We all know that they disobeyed God. And they didn't die physically, but that day they died spiritually. That punishment that came upon them was a result of their sin. It was the consequence of their impurity, of their disobedience. It was not God desiring to punish them, but it was them choosing to turn their back on God. And as a result, those consequences came into their life. God doesn't want to punish you. He loves you. But sin must be punished. Because God is a just God. And that's why Jesus came into the world. God doesn't want you to suffer under the iniquities of your forefathers. And though the Bible says that it's visited from the third generation to the fourth generation, you can be the one who stops that iniquity. You can the one be the one that says, this far and no further. It's not going to go and affect my children or my grandchildren. Because God has called you to a life of blessing. In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5, we see the heart of God here. 
This is talking about Jesus. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment, there's the word punishment, that punishment that was due to us, that, but it brought us peace, was placed upon Jesus. And by his wounds we are healed. So yes, there is a punishment for doing wrong and disobeying God and going away from what he's warned us against. But guess what? He's provided the way for us so that we don't have to carry that in our lives. And if you're suffering under the consequences or the curse of these idols in your life, I'm telling you today that God is here to set you free, to deliver you, to break that power of that curse so you can walk in purity with God that you don't have any other lovers in your life apart from God alone, and that you may honor him in all that you do. The last point, the third point in the principle of purity is the blessings of purity. It says, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. So if we choose to love God and keep his commands, this is what God is promising over our life. He said, in other translations, it says, I lavish unfailing love on you. I pour upon you steadfast love over a thousand generations, showing loving devotion, loving kindness, and mercy. God is showing covenant faithfulness to a thousand generations of those who love me. Gracious love. This is what God wants to pour upon us when we love him and give him the chance. So God doesn't want us to walk in impurity because it affects our relationship with him. He wants us to have a pure relationship with him that will not only affect you, but your children and your grandchildren and a thousand generations down. God wants to bless you and cause you to prosper. If you'll simply love him and keep his commands, that's what he requires of us. So we need to embrace this principle of purity in our lives and say, God, I want to live a pure life for you. I do not want to open up my life to any idols, images, carved things, and bow down to them.